Welcome to Build Better Brands. I'm Danielle Clark and this show is here to provide insights, techniques and strategies to help you establish a better brand with confidence and clarity. We're on a mission to help as many people as possible start and build stronger brands so they can create happier, healthier lives for themselves and those around them. So today I am joined by Ryan Margolin, who is CEO of Professional Hair Labs. Uh, Ryan set out on a journey to help create world-leading products in cosmetic bonding, and he's built an international business. And he's here to talk to me all about his journey today. So welcome to the show, Ryan. Thanks very much, Danielle. I'm looking forward to having a conversation and uh, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. And thanks so much for being here. And I have been looking at what you do and your business. And um, the thing that struck me the most was how you got started. And it's, um, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll let you you tell our listeners in your own words, but it started from quite... Um, sad circumstances really around your your mom um using these chemicals so um can we start there can you tell us about that sure well look my mother was a master hair technician Uh, my dad was just a typical entrepreneur um i grew up in that kind of entrepreneurial environment so you know my parents owning businesses uh, and working together, uh, even as a kid, I was able to see the, you know, the highs and the lows of what I was able to kind of comprehend as a, as a kid growing up. So um, I was well versed by, you know, by the time I was a young teenager. Um, sadly, you know, look through the years of using uh, different products in a hair replacement studio, uh, my mother got chemical poisoning. Now she's okay today, um, but it did force her to retire early. Um, she can no longer kind of perform at the level that was needed to keep going every day. Um, so that kind of pushed my dad into a place where they decided they were going to sell the business. And my dad focused his attention on building a uh, product line that was safe for technicians and hair wares. So that's kind of where it started. Um, since then, you know, it, it's developed into a completely different business. Uh, but at its core, uh, that's that's really where the the whole foundations of the company was built. Wow, it's I think it's amazing that you've taken that. Um, that obviously must have been, I imagine, quite traumatic and stress, stressful situation for for the family, um, and turned it into. Uh, you know, something positive has come off the back of that situation? It has. And you know what, um, in terms of traumatic and, you know, the the memories of, of that period of time growing up, um, it wasn't that it wasn't that bad. You know, my mom was quite good at just getting on with things and, and not, you know, really letting us take the or bear the brunt of what the real circumstances were. So, Fortunately for us, we weren't fully exposed to the the impact that that had on her. Um, you know, she was there for us, you know, growing up uh, throughout school. And uh, then when I was uh, 14, uh, my mother's from Ireland. She's Irish. So uh, we moved to, to Ireland. She wanted to come back to Ireland. And that's where I kind of finished school and went off traveling again. Uh, so really, you know, the journey around that was was really um 
it was really more so just a natural process. There was nothing forced or planned about it. You know, I, I didn't grow up thinking, you know, look, one day I might work in a familiar business. Um, I had full intentions of doing my own thing as I've always done. Uh, just naturally opportunity aligned, you know, uh, back in 2008, when the economic crash happened, I was working in a sales and marketing position and um, the industry I was working in at the time, really, that was the first industry that really kind of collapsed. So the company I was working for, I was laying off a lot of people. Uh, at that point, I was looking for different opportunities to start something myself. Um, and I got a phone call from my dad then. Um, just one day we were we were talking and he basically said to me, look, I'm not really happy with the way the company is going. There's some challenges here and not really sure how to solve them. Um, would you be interested in, you know, coming over and, and, and seeing what you can contribute? So initially I said, no, I wasn't interested because uh, I had a wife and we had one daughter at the time. And upon reflection, we decided, you know, look, what's the worst that can happen? You know, so a year out of our lives, let's see what we can do. And, um, and from that point, then it kind of everything changed. Uh, so we moved to Florida. Uh, it was uh, April of 2009. And uh, spent the first six months that we were there uh, learning about the business, the internal operations, how the industry worked, learning a bit about the customers. And then I started to put my marketing and sales hat on and figured what were the, you know, the challenges the company was having to overcome some of the objections in the industry that was stopping them from using the products, you know, because historically the industry has used the same products for the last 40, 50 years. Um, and now all of a sudden, you know, here's my dad and his company with this new solution. And really the biggest hurdle was about education, why they should be using this product over the next, because predominantly it was the best performing products in the, in the industry. So that, that, that's kind of where, you know, it really required a high level of, 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 um, kind of, uh, research and then development. And then ultimately just, uh, you know, commitment to just getting the the product out there and seeing, you know, if we could validate this across an industry and we did that. So uh, there's a whole ton of other things that happened in between that. And uh, maybe we'll get into some of that later in the conversation, but that's the kind of bird bird's eye view of, of, you know, the journey. Yeah. I find it interesting, but initially when your dad asked you, you said no. Mm -hmm. So what were you initially, what was your plan? Cause it sounds like this wasn't part of it. No, it wasn't. No, not at all. Um, in fact, uh, the truth be told, I didn't really have a set plan. I was just keeping my options open at the time to look for something that I was passionate about or that I wanted to do. Um, you know, look, I mean, I've always been heavily involved in, you know, sport or music. And, you know, I just I, I was just exploring at that at that point in my life. Um, and uh, this opportunity then allowed me to explore further parts of that, uh, which I didn't realize at the beginning. And, and it naturally just, uh, it allowed me to sit within something that I felt not only comfortable with, but I felt could bring the best out of me. Now, there were many challenges in between that, you know, both personally and professionally, uh, as you would expect working in a, you know, a familiar environment, but ultimately it kind of led to the journey that, that kind of set us out where we're at now. So uh, really in hindsight, there's no point in, in in reviewing any of that for myself because, you know, I'm really happy where we're at today and 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 where I'm at and, you know, the the life, you know, we've created and the life I've created and my family has created. So everything is looking 
know, quite good at the moment, apart from, you know, the, the normal everyday business challenges that you have. Yeah. So this is very much a family business, isn't it? Hmm. It is. It is. So right now that my, my, um, my two brothers work alongside me and we're, we're equal owners in the business. So we made a really strong succession plan a couple of years ago and it was, um, it was activated in May of last year, 2022. So the transfer of, of ownership then switched from my father to ourselves. Uh, and it was done in a way that allowed us to retain the foundations that we built because look, I mean, when you're working in a family business or when you're thinking about long-term future plans for your own kids or, or your family, um, if you don't have experience in it and you don't understand how important it is, um, you usually start to entertain it at a point where it's far too late. And that's kind of the position we found ourselves in. Um, fortunately, we hired some really good you know, tax consultants and they helped us put a structure in place um, we couldn't remove all of the exposure, but we removed a high amount of it. So um, it's it, it was a looking back in hindsight, that was probably one of the the one things that I wish we would have really got our teeth sunk into ten years ago. You know. Yeah. Okay. So look, I mean, like with all businesses, there's ups and downs, but um, I um, I know people that have family businesses and and. And those that don't, and those that don't, when they go home and things haven't gone to plan, they can kind of have a bit of a moan and a vent to their family because they're separate. Yeah. Um, but I'm guessing you can't really do that. <laughs> no. And you know what? One of the lessons that I've learned over the years, and look, everyone is different, but I don't tend to moan about anything because mm. you know what? Ultimately, at the end of the day, what does it achieve? You know, if you're moaning about something, it's about something you're not happy with, which means that there's a problem that needs a solution. So you can either choose to moan about it or you can choose to get on with it and fix it. And that's typically my mindset. You know, I don't say a whole lot, but I do see the challenges in front of us uh, and even myself on a daily basis. And I prefer to just fix them rather than moan about them. Um, now, look again, I, I know everyone is not like that and that's okay too. Uh, but for me, I'd rather address the solution rather than the problem, you know? Yeah. I think that's an amazing mindset to have. And um, as someone that plays sports, I I think being playing a sport, whether it's individual or team-based, you do very much have this mindset, you know, we, it's the same if, if we're playing a game and we're losing, yeah. it's like, okay, we're we just going to moan about losing or we're we going to try and change something. We're going to be strategic about it to try and, solve it that's exactly it you know and sport is a very good example of that i mean look you let's say you know whether you're playing football or whether you're playing basketball it doesn't matter the ref might not be calling the decisions in your favor it gets in yeah. and you start complaining to the ref <laughs> what is that going to contribute absolutely nothing but it affects your mindset so be strategic about you know the approach and think about it logically and you know look uh process like and once you are able to do that and repeat that process, it becomes habitual. And then at the end of the day, you're, you find yourself in a match and, uh, you know, you're not getting the calls and you just get on with it. You know, it's like, you know, you're not going to change the ref's mind. It's like, just, just get on with it. You know, yeah. some games go your way and some games don't. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now we, we talk about strategy and, and having to figure things out. How did you and your family figure out how you were going to create these products? 
because you went from you said this industry uses basically products that are toxic which was what caused your mom to end up being ill um how did how on earth did you go about changing that well for us we were very fortunate so by the time i came into the business and by the time my two brothers came into the business the i suppose the foundations had already been set by my dad's idea so um, he had a really good baseline product Uh, when i joined the company in 2009 it was missing a couple of key components uh, that we all had always felt that would be beneficial to a product such as a water-based adhesive the problem was is that the technology didn't exist at the time, uh, not at least in, in in the topical solution, but in the chemical-based solution, it was there. Uh, so what happened was uh, kind of opportunities aligned where uh, in 2009, we realized that uh, a company had created that uh, technology, um, albeit very it was patented and it was really expensive to buy. We started to take our baseline product and reformulate it with that ingredient, which gave it its water resistance and oil resistance. And if you think about it, you're putting the product on your scalp. So naturally, water and oil resistance would be a huge uh, uh, benefit to 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 the product. And when we formulated it and tested it, we felt comfortable that we were ready to to launch it, and and that's what we did. So um, in 2000 and uh, at the end of 2009, um, I had manually built a database of about 5,000 hair replacement studios across the United States. And there was only three of us in the company at the time. So we felt, look, we send all 5,000 of these out. Uh, And it was a really simple postcard front and back. First was product and benefits. Back was industry leader uh, testimonials. And we felt that if, you know, we get a bunch of calls, it's going to be really hard for us to manage this. So we decided to split it out into three. And from, you know, a matter of four days, three days after we sent out the first batch, phone calls started rolling in. Uh, Hey, I really have to try this product. And they ordered one bottle. And then fortunately, one bottle turned into three on the next and five on the next and 20 on the next until we're banging out wholesale orders of 20, 25 large bottles to studios and salons. And uh, 18 months later, we tripled revenue in the in the company. So we were able to really recognize the fact that we validated this uh, this application process and product in an industry which was very hard to break. So we had to move quick. Um, naturally, I realized after being in Florida for a year, it's not where I wanted to stay. Um, I wanted to bring my kids up in a different environment. We had one daughter at the time, but you know, obviously I had planned on having more. And we um, we basically took some of the profits from, from the additional revenue and we opened up in Ireland. And uh, we had the full intent of moving into that uh, marketplace, uh, the European marketplace, uh, and then it just turned into something a lot more. Um, but again, many lessons in that journey as well. Yeah, there's always a lesson in the journey. I think yeah. if, if there isn't, I don't think you've traveled far enough. <laughs> yes. And and this is it, you know, I think for me, one of the key things was, is that, you know, over the 18 months that I spent in Florida, we, you know, we had triple revenue. So I was like, this is amazing. I can now take this repeatable process and put it into any marketplace and, and it's going to be great. So that's what I did. I, I, you know, took it back to, to Ireland, moved back to Ireland and we opened up and uh, I used the same systems and it fell flat in its face. And uh, oh, yeah. wow. I really wasn't yeah. expecting that, right? No, no, no. <laughs> to the point where I was really genuine. And this, this is the whole uh, self-doubt part of it. You know, it, it, this is as a, as a, as an individual where your self-doubt creeps in is like, am I really cut for this? You know, mm-hmm. um, considered shutting it down. It was performing that bad. Uh, 
but stuck at it really, um, really heavily for the first six months after that moment of realization. And we were able to fortunately then build a couple of really good distribution relationships. And what I realized is the difference between the US and Europe was the cultural approach. People do business differently. And um, I had to adapt to that. And, and that was a huge learning curve for me. So I went to a few trade shows, uh, met with a lot of, um, you know, high level hair suppliers, and um, they were very helpful and very honest with me. Uh, at the time, they weren't really interested in carrying the product line, but they were open to sharing information. And then fortunately, two of them came and was like, you know, look, obviously, they felt we were at a place where, you know, the brand had been, you know, reputable enough in in europe to 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 carry and that's kind of where everything started to to grow so it was really i mean it was really a year and a year year and a half before we started to really catch traction but um yeah look i mean that that taught me you know if you're looking out five years into different marketplaces that you are looking to expand into you better start doing a bit of research on culture so uh and and learning how to do business internationally because it's not the same in, in every place. Hell, it's not the same. It, it Sometimes it's not the same on an hour away in a plane, you know? So it's, yeah, that, that's, that to me was a huge learning curve and a part of my personal development that, that really um, helped me move things forward um, in the company and, you know, individually. I think that's so interesting that what happened, what worked in Florida, mm. that, you know, you sent out a load of these double-sided postcards, you had phone calls, it was very direct. Mm-hmm. It sounds like over here and, you know, in Europe, this people wanted to get to know you. It was more about building the relationships, right? That's 100%. And I think uh, that's where I think Europe was very different from the US. Uh, US is very transactional, where, you know, the I would... I would kind of refer to Europe as very transformational. It's about the connection. It's mm-hmm. not about it's not about the you know the interaction on a monetary level. Uh, now, look, sometimes it is, but it's it's very few and far between in in, in my experience. So that that was um you know look even growing up in the states, I I kind of had that mindset. It was like go go go. It was uh, mm-hmm. you know, like let, let's just you know move and flip and turn things, but. Yeah, that, that was a big part of the journey. And um, naturally, we realized then after a period of time when we started to grow and looked at different marketplaces that it was probably more beneficial to start really considering the fact that um, European, even European regulations held a higher um, a higher caliber of, of, of weight when it came to the manufacturing cosmetic products because of the rules and regulations. So um, putting aside the tax benefits, you know, we were strongly looking at that point, making our Irish entity the, the principal manufacturing entity for that reason. If we manufacture in line with those rules and regulations, most places in the world, uh, we w- wouldn't have any problems importing uh, into. Got you, got you, because it's stricter, whereas it, yes. um, in, I mean, I, I think it's the same with food because, you know, I yeah. remember when we were leaving the EU and, and there was all this talk about food being imported from the US and, and the yeah. way in which that it's controlled and, and the chemicals and the things that are used are not as as rigorously, um, you know, tested or kind of looked at the way that they are yeah. over here. So um sounds like uh, in a way it's kind of, although it was trickier at the start trying to launch in Europe, it's actually... Um, hopefully made things a little bit easier now 
the in the long game it, it it's yeah it's it's made things easier because we realized if we follow you know a certain set of processes and and rules um the red tape is going to be loosened an awful lot when it time when it's time to look at other countries so yes it has and look again i didn't know that you know 10 years ago uh, i know that now but uh, that's part of the i suppose that's part of the whole process of having patience it's like you know you can sit down and try to study everything but naturally there's certain things that have to come from practical hands on experience too absolutely and as a business owner myself there's there's so many books that you can read and that I have read and so many, you know, mentors and audio books and things that you can listen to. But until you're living and breathing it and doing it, that is by far the best way to learn. And, you know, that being said, it's it's always good to see how other people have done it and see where they've made mistakes. If you can yeah. avoid, you know, someone else has made the mistake. I'm always like, well, you know, have a look at what happened to them and, don't go making it again if you've learned that that it didn't that didn't work for someone else but this yeah. you know there is a great um there's there's nothing better than actually living and learning and 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 finding out for yourself along the way yeah. nothing can no book no audio yeah. no conversation can really oh. um can preempt any of that um, no, and I think that's why it's important to realize it's always, you know, reading is amazing and, and studying is amazing and, and analyzing is amazing, but you have to also manage the line between where implementation becomes a priority. And uh, if you're not going to implement it, then just accept that, move on and start to learn practically. Uh, and I think that that's part of it, because, you know, what, there's things that I've learned that I've genuinely never seen, um, you know, referenced in a book. You know, and 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 this is part of the the personal experience, or what I refer to as an individual's blueprint, that makes up their, you know, that makes up their their contribution that they're capable of giving back to the world. Because look, at the end of the day, sharing is vitally important. Uh, and you know, look naturally, there's some stuff from a process perspective that has to remain, uh, you know, comp uh, confidential. But at the end of the day, the lessons are are, are where you know you can share and, and, and help people because like, I mean, you know, even over the last year, say, you know, us combating counterfeits, I've learned so much in relation to that process that I could not find anywhere in any book. I could not find um, viable solutions in software that had all of those loopholes patched. So naturally that led me to a point of bullet pointing and writing them down and building our own software around that. Cause I knew then I've experienced things that, a lot of other people hadn't and uh the difference between myself and the people who probably have experienced those things i've implemented a solution to our company which is now applicable to the rest of the industry if we choose to move that product to a you know a software as a solution product so uh it's you know look it's all about what you're willing to put in and it's all about how much you're willing to commit to learning and and making um, not only your industry, but I suppose the world a better and more ethical place to do business because there's no matter how ethical you are, there's always going to be people behind you that are not. And uh, they'll always try to take the book from you where they can. Yeah, absolutely. And often it happens a lot, doesn't it? You see a brand grow, you see them start to get attention. And before you know it, there's people that are trying to copy them and rip them off. 
Yeah. Um, and, and look, I mean, we experience it all the time. I mean, look, we've, we've even got multiple cases now in the UK alone from, from companies you, you really genuinely wouldn't think would be involved in that, that nature of business. But uh, unfortunately they are. And um, it's just, for me, the lesson I've learned is that, you know, when, when you're doing business, you always have to have your eyes open. You know, it's like, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you can collectively have a circle of people around you who are honest and, and, and ethical. Um, but not everyone is, you know, outside of that. So you need to always keep your eyes open. Yeah, for sure. Um, it sounds like you've been quite disruptive really, because it sounds like for a long time, these products always had chemicals in them and then Mm. you've come along and you shook things up. Um, so chemicals, is this why people are trying to copy? Like chemicals often still, used predominantly used in in these um and we're talking about hair bonding products yep. aren't we yeah they and they are look i mean the, the the popular products that were popular even before we were in the industry are still readily available in the market and in some countries they're still the most used even though people know they have toxic chemicals in them i mean you're talking uh, ingredients like uh, toluene, xylene, hexane. They're they're actual derivatives of gasoline, and they're being put on their skin. And 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 people, there's some people who don't look in depth enough to know that this is the case. But then there's some people who do, and they choose to use it simply because it's a cheaper solution. So, um, you know, look, have we been disrupted? Yeah, we have. Um, there's a lot of competitors now that have come off the back of our our, our products, and they've tried to replicate not only our our product performance, but they've also tried to mimic the branding thinking that, you know, if they come close to our branding, it's going to instill confidence in people. But what people don't realize is that um, the customer base that we've built over the years is from a perspective of relationships. It's not from a perspective of, you know, what color the bottle is. I mean, yes, our branding is quite good for the industry and it was built around, you know, a certain demographic of, you know, of, of, of people, um, it, mainly, you know, individuals who wear hair from, you know, hair loss, whether it was hereditary health issues or just from leisure. But at the end of the day, um, that's where the key difference is, is that we've actually spent the time on the phone, on emails with people uh, to build that rapport and that relationship, whereas others are just trying to copy the product and push it into the market, thinking they're going to take a lot of the market share, you know, and it doesn't work like that. Because you've got these relationships, which yeah, this is popping up a lot in my world at the moment, this idea that if you like someone and you trust them and you've got a relationship, you've got some kind of connection. That is how businesses are built. Yes, they are. And one of the key lessons that I've learned more recently is that, look, I've always been somebody who uh, I love the anonymity. You know, I love, you know, had the fact of having a business where, you know, no one kind of knows who you are. But what I realized as we started to grow, one of the, the 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 key catching points for us was that people were asking the question, well, who are professional hair labs and what do they really stand for? So it made me realize very quickly that I had to kind of come out from behind the woodwork and and start to put a face to the company so people knew who they were buying from, not just, you know, what entity they were buying from. I wanted them to really know who we as a collective are and what we as a collective stand for and why this company was built. Because ultimately, 
the foundational customer base that we had to, to grow the company, you know, expanded literally 20 fold. And uh, a lot of those customers now don't really know who we are. They just know what we do. And that's where the, the, the most recent lesson has come from over the last year is that the unfortunate part about it, you know, even if it goes against, you know, every comfortable feeling that you have, you've got to get out there and, and, and put your message out there and put a face to the, you know, to, to the company. It has to be done. I talk about this all the time. You find that a lot of, especially in my world, a lot of creatives are often introverts mm-hmm. and they are quite reluctant to put their face out there to, yep. to show a little bit of personality and show who they are. And, and like you've just said, Ryan, it's, if you're a faceless company, it's quite hard for people to trust you. Yeah, It's okay when things are going well, but as soon as something starts to happen, like you've got a copycat, um, yeah like something's gone wrong with your order or whatever. Someone want a face, someone want a name, someone wants yeah. someone that they can talk to. Um, and it helps you win back that trust again, doesn't it as well? It does now. Like, and, and I'll give you a perfect example. You know, it's, you know, with all the counterfeits we have of our brand on the marketplace, um, you know, naturally there was videos popping up online, you know, um, destroying our brand, you know, uh, you know, calling our, our product toxic, you know, fake, um, you know, at one point, you know, someone even referred to us as racist white men who uh, were putting out harmful products knowingly to the industry. So um, there was a, there there was really uh, a real awareness then at that point from from my perspective is that like you know look there are only small comments in the overall scheme of of the the media that's out there about the company but to me that one or two comments are just as important as the hundreds of thousands of positive ones. So that really made me realize we need to we we need to start talking now and 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 we can't just operate behind you know behind the scenes and allow the reputation of the brand to do the work for us. We have to we have to do the work ourselves now and 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 start showing people who we are and what we stand for because um a narrative can very easily be um be spun. And what I did find going back to what you said there a few minutes ago was that you know there have been cases where there has been issues like that where people have, you know, had problems with the product. And naturally, I wouldn't get involved in the process. We have a team of of of, of, of individuals who help us with that. But um, on the odd one where where I felt was warranted, I I step in myself, and uh, we not only explain to them, you know, what they have in their hand and why it's, you know, why it's not legitimate, but we also send them out a correct welcome kit and 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 say listen we're really sorry i had this experience you know look we're, we're doing our best to vigilantly f- you know fight these counterfeits but this is a small token of our appreciation to the brand and here's a kit um that that will that will help you resolve the issues you're having and that changed everything for them you know what i mean so going back to what you said it's it's people it's not it's not businesses it's not companies it's not brands it's just person to person yeah absolutely and it's, I mean, it sounds like you've had some real um, challenges to overcome in terms of things being ripped off, you know, the, all these copycats out there. Um, and I think what I'd like to know is what are some of the ways then that business owners and entrepreneurs can actually protect their brand and protect their intellectual property? Yeah, so... Knowing what I know now, if I was doing it all over again, um, if you have a physical product or even a service that has 
you know, um, intellectual property such as systems that can be protected. Uh, I would always start by protecting those in the US, Europe and China. From a physical product perspective, if you have a product that absolutely dominates a marketplace or has a very quick velocity of growth, there's always going to be counterfeiters that, you know, start their manufacturing in China. And if you can have the rights there at the beginning, um, it makes it a little bit easier to enforce. Um, so that that would be my 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 advice starting out. Uh, secondly, uh, you know, you're, when you're starting out, you're not going to have a huge um, uh, budget to work with in terms of you know monitoring your IP. But I think the beauty of this now is that, and especially with the online space, with everything trackable from hashtags to keywords and stuff, and you know, you've got. TikTok being, you know, a search engine optimization platform, you've got Instagram being hashtags. Um, I think it's much easier to start to navigate those waters. Whereas say 10 years ago, the only options that you really had was scraping software to, to try to scrape certain words. And <laughs> yeah. uh, it became quite, it, it was quite challenging. Um, but now there, there's some real organic ways that you can do that. And if you're willing to commit the time, if you have that problem, you can actually solve those problems yourself at the beginning. Um, naturally, at the scope, we're, we're, the level we're at now, I mean, we have um, we have uh, um, AI based you know, solutions that will pick up stuff online and will filter that those listings and that content through to us so we can review it. And if, you know, our team finds that it's in breach, then we have, you know, actionable things we we, we can execute on. Um, but again, those things cost quite a lot of money. So, um, yeah, you have to just be prepared at the beginning to do the work and and always keep in the back of your mind that, you know, if you don't have protection in a certain area or certain country, um, there's literally nothing you can do. Nothing. Um, other than, you know, watch it unfold in front of your eyes. You know, it, like our, our biggest mistake at the beginning was we had our U.S. trademarks and we didn't get great advice at the beginning. So they didn't explain to us the importance of even having a European trademark, you know. So uh, our trademark was um, was uh, registered by someone else in China. We didn't know about it. Uh, ultimately, that led to him, that individual trying to blackmail us to get it. And, you know, we sent in our investigators on the ground. They had a meeting with this guy. Uh, we then used that video and and filed a report to the trademark authority. And in in a fashion that's rarely seen in China, uh, they um, they sided with us and they revoked his trademark because it was uh, it was registered under unethical grounds. So that apparently never happens. And uh, we were able to get that done and get our trademark rights. So. You always have to be careful. There's always that people make a living off of this stuff. So you always have to be very aware that you're doing the right things at the beginning. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> what a journey, hey? Um yeah. and a journey that's continuing. The brand, the brand has exists for 20 years now. Is that yeah, right? so the, the company was started in 94, but the brand Ghost Bond has uh has has been in existence since 2009. So, yeah. So what is that? You know, 20 or 14 years, almost 15 years now at this point, we've been talking about it. So so you've got hair labs and. So we have a professional hair labs, which yeah. is, you know, we're the company who manufactures and distributes Ghost Bond. Okay. Brand in itself. Um, but then we have Scientific Cosmetics, which is our manufacturing, you know, company that handles all of our custom formulation projects 
And so what happens is scientific cosmetics formulates all these products and we distribute them out under different umbrella brands that, that, that actually uh, sell the product. Some are private label from other customers and then other companies buy the products from us. But then we have other brands that are being developed at the moment to solely cater for all these new products we're developing. Wow. Developing more brands. Absolutely. More products. Yeah. 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 Exciting. yeah, yeah, it is. Look, I mean, we have a really good team in house, you know, that, 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 you know, that know where we're going. And, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time with them to teach them how uh, to effectively do things for our company, you know, and again, I will always be the first one to say, look, how we're doing things right here may not serve you in 10 years time if you end up doing it for somebody else. But this is what we found works for us and what we found works in our industry. Um, so if anything, you know, 10 years down the road, if you're on, if you're working for yourself or another company, you know, you may not be able to use these systems in an, you know, in another environment, but ultimately just know that the experience you're going to leave with is, is, is a hundred times more than what you started with, because we do actually, you know, invest in, in, in the training and, and the, uh, and the education of, of, of our team. So, um, yeah, like that's, that's really where where our company stands. It's it's very much a people first company because at the end of the day, if you know, as 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 leaders of the company, if we can't um if we can't help people develop as individuals and and find what their purpose of whatever that may look like, then I feel we're 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 letting people down and ultimately the company will suffer because of that. I think that's super important. Um no one wants to work for a company that that isn't isn't there to help and support the people that are building the company too. You know, I know so many people that have left companies because they weren't aligned with their values or they weren't supportive, all yep. of that, that stuff, which sometimes people forget they're focused on the money and the sales. But yep. if you've got a business that you want to grow you've got to invest in good people, right? And that's not just through paying them, that's from looking after them and, and showing them that they're valuable. Absolutely. And this is, this is, you know, through the years of, you know, hiring and, and the different processes, I, you know, I, I, I no longer look for, you know, what credentials are on paper. I mean, naturally I'll see them, but I'll sit down with a person and get a feel for who they are and what they want to achieve. Because ultimately I would rather work with someone with the right attitude and mindset who, you know, who we can work with and develop skills um, rather than bring someone in who has a ton of experience, but is not a great, you know, leader or hasn't got a good attitude. Well, I've, I've made that mistake in the past many times, you know, and, and that's all part of the learning process and the growing process. Um, you can, again, you can go back to whatever book you want or listen to anyone uh, tell you about their experiences, but until you get, you know, some practical experience in that area, it's just, you know, you'll always end up making some sort of mistake because those mistakes are required to turn you into the person that you need to be. Absolutely. <laughs> so on that note, then, Ryan, you've got this family business that sounds like it's going really well. Um, for those listening, what would you say are the the kind of non-negotiables or the rules that you'd follow for growing and scaling a successful family business uh well i i if for a family business i think the same would apply to any type of business i, mm -hmm. I think at the end of the day um if you're not developing as, a, as an individual 
you're going to be the bottleneck of growth in your business. And for me, I think it comes down to five key things. Um, what I've learned over the last decade of my life is that you have to accept the fact that no one is coming to save you and you have to, you know, almost be your own hero. You know, there's going to, it's going to require a lot of work. Batman's not coming. Yeah, no, no, no. it's going to require a lot of work, a lot of long nights with no applause, no recognition. Um, and you know what, I, you, you do have to learn to be your own motivation, but I think more importantly, you have to, um, you have to become uh, completely disciplined because you know what motivation is always temporary. You know what I mean? If you, if you only do things when you're motivated, you're going to miss out on probably 70% of what you're truly capable of doing. It has to be discipline. It's not about what you do when things are good, when you're motivated, it's about what you do when you don't feel like doing anything. So that's one of the first key points. And I, I also found that um, learning, learning to not so much focus, you know, or managing, you know, time, it's more about, you know, managing your focus and being able to truly lock in uh, to the point where even if you have a block of, you know, 20 minutes or two hours, um, you just don't pay attention to it. You just, you just get stuck in and intently focus for, you know, on the task at hand. Um, I think learning, uh, learning to accept the fact that, you know, no matter how little or how big progress is, um, it's never a loss, even if, even if it doesn't go right for you, you know, and you, you truly won't fail unless you actually don't learn from it. I think, you know, never mind stopping, but if you don't learn from something you've done wrong, I think, you know, look, you're, you're not setting yourself on, on the right path. Um, I think surrounding yourself with the right people is probably one of the most integral things as well in the whole process. I mean, you know, I see a lot of people with a lot of successful people in their network. And I think what happens is they end up falling into a competition trap where they look at what that other person has and they're like, oh, my life would be so much better if I had this or that had that. And I also see that, that same person uh, who has all that stuff uh, making the other person feel bad about it as if they're not good enough. And to me, that that's that that's not the whole statement of having the right people in your circle. There could be successful people who make you feel like nothing and you need to avoid those people at all costs. You need to build up a circle who will hold you accountable, who truly want the best for you. And you know what? You, you'll, you'll quickly realize who that is. Um, uh, maybe one more thing. So for me, one thing that I've learned is that you know, there's an analogy that I use kind of a fear and fire. And you know what, you have to learn to, you know, to, to kind of control the fire the same way you have to learn to control fear. Fire has the ability to do one of two things. It can either burn everything at, you know, down around you and you can stand there and watch it happen, or you can learn to control it and can also keep you warm, cook your food, all that, all that stuff. So there's so many people that, that don't achieve what they're truly capable of because they're afraid of getting it wrong or afraid of what other people think, or they're afraid of a multitude of other things. You have to get rid of that wall of fear because it, it will be one of the only things that ends up holding you back and it will stop you doing majority of things you know you should be doing, but you're just too afraid to do it. You know, we're only here once. And you know what? In 50 years time or 60 years time, no one's going to remember who we are. You know what I mean? So why are you holding yourself back out of the fear of what people think? Because ultimately we're here for a short while. So go get it. You know, that's that, that, that to me is the key things that I've learned. What, what, what I can't, I don't think we can top that. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. And, you know, I get, um, 
I get fired up just hearing that because it is really true. Because I say it, I say it to people all the time. You know, yeah. I, I have a gratitude journal which I bang on about a lot. Yeah. Um, I write in it every morning, every evening, and you know, this this time, this moment today, you know, it's so we're so lucky to be here, and it's so important. And if you've got a thing that you're just hungry to do mm. just just give it a go go get it yeah just go get it there's there's you know 100%. there's no point waiting around for it because you know what at the end of the day uh no one's gonna do it for you and no. you, you know you have to make it happen so just uh, stop thinking about it and just get on with it and do it amazing advice make it happen people so if people want to know more about you ryan where can they find you uh, my main hangout would be LinkedIn. Uh, so you search my name online uh, or on LinkedIn or even online and you'll find it no problem. Uh, the company has social media uh, accounts on all major platforms, TikTok, Instagram, uh, Facebook. Uh, website is prohairlabs.com. Look, there's multiple ways to get in touch with me. And the one thing that I always you know, say is that you know, when it comes to you know, kind of advice or you know, just anything in general, questions, um, I am quite responsive. Uh, if, if the first message isn't to pitch me something, so, <laughs> so, uh, no yeah. pitching in the DMS people. Yeah, that's it. No pitching. <laughs> I can't tell you the amount of messages I get on a daily basis through LinkedIn that just, there's no even there, there's just no personal approach whatsoever. It's just take your shot. If the timing happens to be right and you're in pain for something enough, you might respond. But I've, I, I actually, I think maybe out of the last ten years, I've probably responded maybe twice to to a cold message because you just don't have the time to deal with it. And it's like if somebody reaches out to you and wants to get to know a bit about what you do, or or um, or has questions about maybe something that they might have heard you you speak on, um, I'm always open to, to to answering those questions. But yeah, just don't pitch. <laughs> just don't <laughs> pitch, please. Don't pitch. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure you'll get nice friendly DMs and no pitching. Absolutely. Yeah, because look at the end of the day, you enjoy those conversations, you know? Yeah, likewise. Well, it's been amazing having you on. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your journey. Yeah, and thanks for having me. I look at I appreciate the opportunity and um I hope look at at the very least, I hope it resonates at least one or two things with with, with your audience and listeners. So thank you. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you for listening to Build Better Brands. I am so grateful to have you tuning into the show and I'd love to thank you personally. So wherever you are in the world, remember to tag at Danielle Clark Creative in your social media posts and stories. Let us know when you're listening. You want to know what you've enjoyed about the show and give you a show tone. And if you would like to help more people like you discover the show, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. It's going to help us rank higher and reach more listeners. It's also a great way for us to help you with the problems your brand might be facing. Suggest a topic in your review and we might feature it and you in one of our episodes. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.